we are in a series called Timeless. That is right. And we are looking at hidden figures all throughout the Old Testament. We've talked about people. There, uh, we talked about Shipra and Pua, right? Some crazy names. That's what the Old Testament brings us. Uh, we talked about Hosea and Gomer, right? We talked about Jethro, Moses' father-in-law last week. And today we have another fantastic name for you. You guys ready? You ready for the name? Mephibosheth. Is his name? I've told you they're great. Um, you can you can mark those down. But today we're going to be in sec, our First Samuel chapter nine. First Samuel chapter nine. Uh, if you want to turn there, we'll be there in just a minute. But I want to pray for us. Ask God to speak to our hearts here this morning. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We are thankful. God, that we get to play a part in what you are doing all over the world. God, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. I pray that your word comes alive to us, God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to guide and direct our hearts. God, I also know there's a lot going on in our world today, and it can just feel heavy. God, and I just pray that over these next few moments that we can cast our cares on to you because you care for us. And I pray that you will guide us, give us wisdom, give us direction, God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Amen. Uh, you may notice that some of our youth are out. They're meeting today during the message. They'll be back towards the end of the service as well. But it's pretty cool to know that God's moving through all generations as well. And today, just a quick plug, and then I'm going to get into preaching. Okay, you guys okay? Uh, but a quick plug, today we do something that we absolutely love. Um, we are meeting right after church, and we're having a meal together. Um, if you haven't found out uh, about our church, about this, this is, this is really a core DNA of who we are. We love spending life on life together. We are always say we're Bible people, we're Jesus people, we're community people. We're always trying to build community. And over the summer, we love just to take that intentional time. And so uh, we invite you to come and to stay right after service. Stick around for 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, we're going to have uh, Moses coming in, so we're going to eat together. Everybody loves Moses, right? That's good. So um, we invite you to stay right after service for that. But as I think about uh, what we're doing right after service, uh, because we're all sitting at tables or maybe we're sitting in a chair and uh, something special happens at the table. Something special happens when people are sitting together and their eyes are across from each other. Because, you know, at the table, we all come together as human beings, right? Because we all have to eat. That's a, that's a, 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 it could be whatever viewpoint you take, it could be a shortcoming, right? Like we have to eat to survive. That's one of the parameters that God put on his creation, his people. But I think it's one of the, the most valuable leveling playing fields that we have, right? Because no matter if you're rich or if you're poor, no matter what our race is, no matter what we look like, what our background is, what our story is we all have to come to the table, right? We all have to eat. And I think something happens when we sit across the table from each other. And so today, uh, as you probably guessed, my title is At 
the table, at the table. And you'll see why, uh, hopefully, by the end of the message. And today, I told you, we have this uh, strange name, Mephibosheth, right, that we're talking about. Well, if you uh, remember some of the Old Testament, maybe you've heard of this guy named David, who slayed Goliath, who became the king of Israel. Well, while he was wrestling and moving up the chains to become king of Israel, and he slayed Goliath and all of these different aspects that he got to walk through, David actually was labeled as a man after God. God's own heart. Uh, But we see as he was walking in this, he also had an adversary because uh, there was this man named Saul who was king. And Saul was the first king of Israel. But then his heart became prideful and he began to drift from God's ways. And so God said, I'm going to remove my anointing from you, Saul. And now I'm placing it on David, who is going to be the new king. Well, Saul started to see David begin to rise up in the ranks as a great warrior. People started following him. They actually even started making up songs about him. I mean, how fun is that, right? Like all of this. And But Saul started to get jealous, so much so that he tried to kill David. Well, Saul's son became one of David's best friends, because, and his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan saw that what David was doing was for God. And he saw that his own dad, Saul, was actually drifting away from God's plan. And so he became close friends with David and actually protected him on many occasions. Well, Jonathan had a son, and his son's name was Mephibosheth. And whenever David took over as king of Israel, when Jonathan and his dad Saul were killed in battle, David was taking over as the king. And during those times, whoever took over as king, it was pretty customary for them to come in and kill off everybody that was in that king's family line. Because later down the road, they could come back and contest that they were in the family line. They could become king. And so it was almost customary for the kings when they would take over over transition. So the families were terrified. So when uh, we have a picture here, when Mephibosheth was still a baby, we see that Jonathan and Saul were killed. And in the hustle and bustle and fear that the new king was going to come in, they tried to hide the family line of the, the king, Saul and Jonathan. And in that hustle, they began to try to pick Mephibosheth up, the, the lady who was taking care of him, and she dropped him. And all of a sudden, as a baby, he became crippled. And so Mephibosheth is kind of tucked away in the outskirts. And uh, David becomes king. And I want you to watch what David does here in 2 Samuel. And this is the story. That, I mean, 1 Samuel. This is the story. And it's a pretty powerful one here in chapter 9. And it start, we start here in verse 1. It says, David asked, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar to the house of Machir, son of Amel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. 
And at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your what is your servant that you should take notice of a dead dog like me? The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops, so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth's grandson of your master will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. What an incredible story, right? We see that it was customary. In fact, it was almost even, hey, you need to do this to protect yourself, right? It was a part of survival for King David to say, you need to go and wipe out the family line. That's strategic, is smart. You should do that, right? But David said, you know what? I want to show kindness the way the Lord has shown me kindness, David was like that a very much. He was not a perfect man, as you and I know, but he uh, many times people would try to get him to step outside of God's plan and take over the kingship and do certain ways and cut corners. And David would always step back and go, no, we need to do this in God's time and with God's plan. Right. And we see him do this right here, right now. He was trusting God over what was easiest. And he says, I want you to show I want to show kindness on Jonathan's sake. And I love that because Mephibosheth, they didn't make this grandor plan. Jonathan didn't make this plan, but Jonathan and David were pursuing God, trying to do what's right, walking through life together, helping each other, protecting each other. And then down the road, we see how that relationship played a key role in Mephibosheth taking a seat at the table. And you and I, if we think about it, imagine all of the relationships that we come in contact with. And we never know what relationships God will use to help maybe somebody else who is close to us. We never know that what that act of obedience, of doing what is right, even when it is hard, even when it is difficult, showing kindness when we shall show kindness, loving, walking with those, showing grace. We never know what those relationships can do in the hands of God because God will begin to use those, right? Because he is always working, right? And he is always moving and he is connecting dots in the background that maybe we don't even know about. Right. And then all of a sudden in the future, we may be in chapter one and then we get to chapter two. and We're like, oh, this is what you are doing, God. This is so incredible. I can't believe that you are making these plans, that you are working, that you love me this much, that you're making all of these plans in the background. And all I have to do is keep taking steps of faith and trusting you and and building those relationships and walking in grace and what God has called us to do. And then King David, he does something else. He says, I want to show them kindness. And in fact, he goes against culture, right? He goes against what every other king before him has already done. 
He goes against it and he says, you know what? I want to show kindness. And I, I love that because I think it's pretty important. I uh, overheard there's this pastor called Ryan Leak and he had this illustration. And I absolutely loved it. And he said, you know, a lot of times we think about uh, some uh, different moral codes that we want to live by or different ways that we want to be remembered, or different ways that we want people to know us by. Like, I, like I hope people can go, you know what, Daniel? He's a good guy. He, he is always helping, or he is uh, trying to serve, or whatever that may be, or, oh man, he, uh, Jacob is always kind, or whatever that may look like, or, or they're such a hard worker. And I love this. And so, but sometimes, um, if you're like me, uh, I can have those plans and I can have that picture of what I want to be like. And then real life hits, right? Like, and then something, then somebody at work says something and then I don't really feel like being real kind, right? Or whatever it may be. Or somebody uh, does something and, and then I do something that actually is the opposite of what I hope that I would be, right? And it's this dilemma, it's this tension that we're facing. But if we think about it, when people begin to talk about us, my hope is, is I want to make it a true story. And the way that we make it a true story is to begin to live out the moral code that God has called us to. Begin to live out the aspects that God has called us to. Because we see that kindness, this is in the Old Testament, right? But in the New Testament, God says that we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will begin to produce fruits in you and I as believers. And one of those fruits is what? Kindness, right? He says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I love how the Bible is all connected. You read the Old Testament and Jesus is all up in the Old Testament, right? He's in, he's in the details and the intricate parts. And we can see how the Holy Spirit is at work even in this story of Mephibosheth here where David says, I want to show kindness. But for you and I, if we see that and as we lean into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit may begin to direct us and say, hey, I want you to be kind, to that person there. And for you and I, in order to make that a true story, right, we have to act on that faith prompt that God may place us in. Or maybe we say, you know what, I, I, I really hope that people can see me and they know that I have self-control. Well, in those moments, I have to act on what the Holy Spirit's trying to produce in me. Or, right, I may look and say, God's called me to love. But that on the, the days that, that that becomes difficult, on the days that that becomes hard, to make it a true story, we have to step into what God is trying to produce in us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in us. And every time we know that Scripture, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, He's trying to produce those in us. And you and I, we have a mission of going, you know what? I am trying to make it a true story. I'm trying to walk in what God is doing in me and through me. And David, we see this, how he plays it out. He's saying that God's called us to walk in this kindness. And so now I am going to live this out. I am going to produce this as well. And then David does something pretty incredible as we look at this. And we look at Mephibosheth's life. And here's the difficult thing about Mephibosheth. If we look at his life, he was in line to be the next king, right? If he wasn't crippled or if his uh, parents weren't killed or, or any of those things, if he weren't, wasn't lame or, or whatever that happened to him as a baby, right? If that wouldn't have happened, he would be the next king, right? And then something happened to him that was not his fault, right? 
And now he is carrying a burden that he didn't do, right? He is carrying a scar that he didn't create. He is carrying a hurt that it was not his fault, right? And so he is trying now, I'm sure he is wrestling with what this looks like. So much so, what does he call himself? A dead dog. Because when you and I allow those hurts, the enemy will take those hurts, even the ones that are not our fault. And he'll take that and he'll say, you know what, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make it. Let's put a little shame on that. Let, let's let you need to carry something further. And the reason you're a dead dog. Right. And I like how I don't like how. But you see how Mephibosheth goes straight to his identity. He doesn't go, well, look what happened to me. I, I can't believe this. My uh, I, I've been set back and the, the world is against me and all these people are against me, which he probably could have said right in the situation that he was in. But he went straight to his identity. He went straight to why would you help me? I'm a dead dog. I'm not worth anything. And that's what shame does. Shame attacks our identity. Guilt. See, guilt is I did this and now I feel bad. I shouldn't have done that. Right. Like that's guilt. And we can carry that. Right. But shame attacks who we are. Shame. The enemy will use shame to pile it on. I mean, think about it in the the garden. Adam and Eve. What happened? They sinned against God and they were uh, unashamed. Right. And then all of a sudden sin entered their life and they were shamed at what their condition was and they couldn't even be in the presence of God they were running away from God because now they saw themselves as not as worthy and shame will do that to you it'll do it to me and I began to pray about this and because shame is so uh, so big for us and in fact I this week's been heavy and a lot of different things were going on and uh, and whereas we're carrying a lot of this. But we uh, I began to notice and observe that sometimes the culture that we're in today, some we can easily shift to shaming people really quick. Right. We can go, oh, you did that. It's because you're a failure. Oh, you did that. It's because you're evil. Oh, you did that because you are right. Like we attack identity or we we ourselves may even get attacked and it cannot even be just in those moments but you may be in a relationship right and you lose the relationship or you're dating someone or your marriage is uh struggling whatever it may be and shame will say look it happened again because you because of you because of your shortcomings because of your weakness because you're bad right we begin to carry that shame or maybe uh, we had something happen to us in our past, maybe as a teenager. And it's still weighing heavy on our hearts. It's still in the back of our minds. And every time we try to take a step forward, the enemy kind of brings that back up, right? And says, hey, look, look, you're not good. You can't lead. You can't do that. Look at what you did in your past. You are not worth. You cannot even walk into that promise that God has for you. Or maybe you get called out at work. Right? Your boss just lays into you. And you go back into your office and you're going, oh, I can't do it. I'm worth nothing. Look, I, I can't even perform in front of a boss or I lost my job. I'm wrestling with whatever it may be, right? And then shame can begin to pile on on top of each other. Or maybe, as I think about Mephibosheth, maybe we look at our lives and we have scars in our lives that weren't our fault. 
and we're carrying some of those and maybe some, some things that people have told us when we were younger. And we're carrying that shame. We're carrying that guilt. We're carrying what that may be. And now we feel like, God, I can't be used by you. God, you can't forgive me. God, I'm too far gone. And it just continues to carry us on. And the problem with shame is it gets heavy, right? And not only does it get heavy, but shame also isolates. You see Mephibosheth, what? He was not in the city anymore. He was in Lodabar, which is about 15 miles outside of the city because he was felt like he was a dead dog. He is not part of royalty. He does not need to be in the king's palace. He needs to be separated and removed because who am I? I'm a dead dog. I don't need to be in there. I can't be a part of this. I can't be a part of what my family line is doing because that's what shame does. It begins to isolate us. And that's the enemy's strategy to pile that on, to begin to build up roadblocks. And you're probably sitting there going, I'm glad I came to church. This is very uplifting. But I think I just I really just feel like we we have to feel the weight of it. Right. Because it's real. It happens to every one of us. In fact, it's actually one of the main temptations that the devil uses against you and I is he attacks our identity through shame. And any time something happens in our life. Right. Like it could be as small as you don't feel like the house is as clean as it should be as much as it should. And all of a sudden, here comes shame, right? See, you're not a good mom. See, you're not a good spouse. See, you're not a good husband. You relate again, right? It could be something like that. And all of a sudden, it just triggers it, right? And it comes right back up. And we're feeling in those moments. And the devil just, he piles it on and he, and he takes that for, from us. But you and I need to know that in this story, we see that there is David, a man after God's own heart, and Mephibosheth. And David here, he represents something that is pretty incredible. He represents something that is life-changing for you and I. David is actually in the family line of the King Jesus, right? He is in the family line of the Messiah, the one who is to come. And this small act is a foreshadow of the one who is to come, who, just like David takes Mephibosheth, and he says, no, 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 you are not a dead dog. In fact, I am making a place for you and you're going to sit at my table, right? And you get to sit at my table because of my kindness. Now, you and I, this is exactly what Jesus does spiritually for you and for me. He looks at your shame. He looks at my shame and he says, oh, you may feel like a dead dog right now, but you need to know that I have saved you and I'm redeeming you, and I'm putting a place for you at the table, and you get to sit at the king's table, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done, right? Because of his kindness, because of his hope. And that's why we worship. That's why our hands are raised. That's why we're singing, because I don't even deserve to be at the table. But here I am, right? Here I am in the presence of Jesus, because he has set me free he is not only redeeming but it says he's restoring David says hey I'm going to give you everything that the enemy took from you right and so you and I we know that God is restoring humanity and one day he will come back again and he is going to restore all of that and he says there will be no more tears no more crying no more hurting all of that God is saying I am restoring that and you and I 
we get a seat at the table. We get to sit in the presence of the king. And he takes every ounce of that shame, of that guilt. And now that verse, cast your cares on to me, takes on a whole new meaning, right? That word cast, it's, it's the workers in, in the, the New Testament there. They would take their, their load that they were carrying. They would literally take the load and throw it on the donkey's back for the donkey to carry it up the hill, right? And that's the same thing. Jesus is saying, he's pointing to them and going, look, just how you just cast that heavy weight, just like that, cast that shame onto Jesus. He is strong enough to take it, and then he redeems it. That's the thing about scars, right? Imagine Mephibosheth. He's sitting at the table, right? And this was not his fault, right? He is lame and he's sitting at the table. And there now he begins to tell people and they're like, oh, how did you get to the table? How did you get to be here? And you're like, oh, King David made a way. Same thing for you and I. They're like, wow, how do you get to do all of this? Because King Jesus made a way, right? We look at our lives. I look at my life and I look at how far I was from God, running from God, right? Like chasing all kinds of different things and yet Jesus came into my life and he says I have something for you I can take that I remember my head hitting the pillow at night because I was trying to fill the void in my heart with different relationships with alcohol all of those things right and I remember my head hitting the pillow at night going God this can't be it this can't be it like it felt good in the moment right like right here in the moment, but yet it, it didn't feel the void, God. I still feel empty, right? And Jesus, I, I, there's something needs to happen here, right? And then I remember as we cast our cares on to Jesus, he begins to take our shame, take our burden. And that's what separates you and I. And that's the story that we have. The scars that you have tell a story. It tells a story of one who is greater than you and I. It tells a story of the one who can redeem and can restore. Our scars can tell a story, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And that's a powerful thing for you and I. And then I don't have many notes here today. The first one was make, make it a true story as we live out God's calling. But also I love for us to remember this, that God can heal and redeem scars that are not our fault. Because some of us, I believe, are carrying things that have happened to us either recently or in the past. And every time we feel like we're taking one step forward, the enemy just kind of rustles that back up, right? Because he knows. And then he's going to attack your identity. He's going to tell you you can't do it. He's going to tell you you're nothing. You're worthless. All of these things, right? But we have to go back. The Apostle Paul, all throughout the New Testament, he goes back to the gospel. He goes back to the gospel because the gospel is not just a one-time moment. The gospel sustains us. The gospel gives us strength. The gospel gives us hope. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus. That he he takes a dead dog and restores him back to the king's table, right? He changed the uh, Romans chapter 12 says he renews our mind. He is changed. Changing that in us. He gives us a new identity, a new hope. In Romans chapter 8, it says we were adopted as sons of the Most High King. We are co-heirs in Christ, right? We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we see this happening 
in a small way in between David and Mephibosheth. And I began to pray. I was like, God, this is in the Old Testament. But do we see this in the New Testament? Like, can we see this? I don't know about you, but anytime we have like a major dilemma or if I'm wrestling through something, I like to go back to the Gospels. I like to go back to the early church and go, how did Jesus interact with somebody like this? How did Jesus do this with somebody? How did he have that conversation, right? And, and I'm reminded, I was reminded of a story in John chapter 4. Maybe you've heard of this story before. It's this Samaritan woman at the well. And this Samaritan woman, she was going to the well in midday. And in the low country, midday, it, it's pretty hot, right? I mean, it, you get a nice little base coat of sweat just walking, right? Like as soon as you walk outside. She goes, it's the hottest part of the day, and she would have to carry these heavy jugs. And so most people would go in the mornings or in the evenings, right? But she was going in the noonday when nobody else was going. Why? Because shame isolates. Why? Because she was carrying the weight of her past. And when this, on this particular day in John chapter 4, she gets to the well, and something's a little different because here is a Jewish man sitting there at the well just waiting on her. If you know the backstory, it's pretty incredible because uh, Jews never walked through Samaria. Uh, it was, it was uh, even dangerous. They, would, they said, don't you walk through there. You could get jumped. You could get killed. Like You don't go to Samaria. They did not like each other. It was hostile grounds for Samaritans to be with Jews and Jews to be Samaritans. And Jesus pulls his disciples together. And I love Jesus. You know, like hey, he pulls his disciples together. And he goes, hey, we're going through Samaria. They're like, Samaria? Are you crazy? Like Samaria? We're going through. He's like, yeah, I got to go through there. Sorry, guys. Come on. Right? Like, that's dangerous. And Jesus being who he is, he's like, hey, I got a divine appointment. And he sits at the well. And this woman who is carrying all of her shame comes up to the well. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with her. And he says, hey, can you give me some water? And they enter into this dialogue and he transitions it into a gospel conversation. And he says, you know, this water is, uh, you can have it and you'll thirst, but I can give you water where you'll thirst no more. And all of a sudden she begins to talk to him and she realizes that maybe he's a little different, right? And maybe she's like, oh, well, you don't, how, how do you know me? In fact, he says, you know what, go back and get your husband and let's talk about this. And she goes, I don't have a husband. And Jesus stops and he goes, you're right. You've actually had five husbands. And all of it, can you imagine her face just falling like, whoa, hang on a second. And the Bible is great. It says, whoa, uh, are you a prophet? Right? Like this lady is like, hey, you must be a prophet or something. How did you know this about me? Right? And uh, Jesus says, I'm not a prophet. In fact, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one who has come. And just like it, I love this. And um, I'm ble- I love my job as a pastor. Like I love this, my, the calling that God has placed on my life. But sometimes I don't always, I've told you this before, I don't always like leading with that information because people get real like reverent real fast. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we'll be talking and they'll throw like a cuss word in there or something. And then I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. It's like, oh, well, uh, yeah. You know, all of a sudden they change. And it's like, man, come on, just just be you. I'm Daniel, right? Like all of these things. And, and I can get that. And so that's what this woman does. She realizes, oh, this 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 man's a little different right he he is uh i can tell he's telling me things about myself that nobody else knew this is pretty incredible and so the conversations turn to religion right it turns religious she's like oh well you know this is jacob's well and uh in fact you jews you believe you're gonna have to go to jerusalem to worship and you have to go to the temple and us samaritans we are unclean we can't go there right and jesus begins this beautiful teaching of going yes that's why i've come 
Because I am going to make believers the new temple of the Holy Spirit. And you will be able to worship in spirit and in truth. No matter what mountain you are on. No matter where you are in life. Because Jesus will be with you as a believer. And he begins to teach her this truth. And in a moment she realizes Even though she has had five husbands, even though she's carrying the shame where she is isolated and she feels like a dead dog. Jesus says, hey, I love you so much. I came for you. I've come to set you free to take that burden from you. And the Samaritan's woman's response is so incredible. Right? She gets so excited. She said, I got to go back to Samaria and I have to tell everybody about this man who just took my shame. I got to tell everybody about this man who knew everything about me and yet still set me free. Jesus knows the darkest thoughts in our life and he is still walking right next to you, walking right next to me saying, I can save that. I can redeem that. I can restore it. I can still do a mighty work in you if you will trust me with your life if you will believe in me and christianity is the only religion where our identity is received and not achieved right we don't have to strive day in and day out for all of this work jesus saying believe in me and i give you hope believe in me and i will restore a work in you And he tells the Samaritan woman, I have a place for you at the table. So you and I, no matter the scars that we have, God can take those scars and turn them into a story. And you and I, we have a moment here in this moment, in this time that I I believe that every single one of you, every, every single one of me, there's only one of me, every single one of you and myself, we were born in 2022, right? In this generation, for this moment. For this season, God knew everything that was going to happen. And he is saying, hey, I'm raising you up so that people can know they don't have to walk in shame. They don't have to walk in guilt. But if you will do it my way, continue to make your table bigger, not make fences taller, right? Because that's shame isolates, right? But Jesus says, I have come to set you free, right? There is a place for you at the table. No matter your past, background, what you look, all of those things, there is a place for you at the table, if you will believe in me. And I love this. And I just want to close with this because I, I'm thinking about this at the table. And can you imagine being Mephibosheth? And David is, he's the king, right? So the table is probably big. It's probably a pretty incredible sight to see. And he's probably has a feast. I'm talking about turkey legs. You remember Renaissance Festival? Turkey legs, grapes, like all those things just all laid out. And all of a sudden, dinner is ready. And here comes Solomon, right? David's son, he comes out of his study because he's the wisest man on earth. He also had 700 concubines, so I don't even know what, I mean, he was pretty, I mean, a lot to do, right? All of these things, right? He comes walking. Walking down, he sits at the table. And then Abner, the Bible talks about her long, beautiful hair. She comes and she sits at the table. And then David had some really close, the Bible calls them mighty men, mighty warriors, who were his close personal bodyguards. 
I imagine them, you know, kind of like secret service. They're sitting around the table too. I'm talking about strong guys. I'm going to just, like, they were, they were taking out lions and bears and on a snowy day in a pit. Like, all these crazy stories, right? Like, he's sitting at the table. All of these people, right? The wisest man on earth who's coming up. Abner with this beautiful hair. And these mighty men of valor are sitting at the table. And then all of a sudden, you hear this clump, 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 right? Coming down the hall, clump. And here comes Mephibosheth. Can barely walk. Barely make it to the table. And David walks around the table. And he pulls the chair out for Mephibosheth to sit. And when he pushes Mephibosheth under the table, the, the curtain that is on the table covers his weaknesses, covers his moments. And you and I, when we sit at the table with Jesus, it is his grace that covers our weakness. He says, bring your weakness. In fact, your weakness, my strength is made powerful in your weakness. In fact, because you're a blow, broken clay jar, my glory will shine through it. People will look at your life and go, how? are you here how can you have that mindset how have you made it to today and you're like look i got this star this scar from this moment of my life and this happened to me and, and this created some calluses for me emotionally but it, it's my weakness god's still working and healing and redeeming that in me and he can do the same for you right is the grace of jesus christ who brings us to the table and he covers our weaknesses but what Jesus wants you and I to do, he doesn't tell Mephibosheth, hey, you need, to, you need to hide all of that. No, he says, I want you to bring that to me. We read in Matthew, it says, come to me, all who are heavy burdened, right? He says, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, bring that to me, cast your cares on to me allow me to do that healing work in you but healing work starts when we're honest with God right when we can bring the honest truth he already knows but something begins to happen in us when we lay our hearts bare and going God this is this still keeps coming up in my life it's still a burden for me, God. It's still weighing heavy on me and in fact shame tries to rear its ugly head through this and Jesus is saying I want you to give that to me allow me to give you a new identity in me your identity in Christ is your battle plan when shame begins to rise up right because shame says I'm nothing but a dead dog Jesus says in Romans chapter 8 there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus right we, we are adopted into the sonship and the daughtership of Jesus Christ that is our battle plan when shame tries to take over is our identity in Christ and that is why we see the Bible constantly goes back to it over and over again remember who you are remember who you are in Christ so that you can know that there is healing that there is hope and that God can redeem each and every one of us and so I want to pray for us today and uh, Jacob and Stacy are going to come back up and, and sing a song for us and they're going to sing a song and it's entitled living hope because Jesus is our living hope. He is a, a moment for you and I. My, my encouragement to you is, is, is there something in your life that you need God to do a work in? Is the enemy trying to bring some shame back up? And it could not even be your fault. 
It could be something that happened to you. But today can mark the day of going, you know what? That's the first time I was actually really honest with God. And say, God, this is holding me back. And I need you to do a healing work in me and watch the Holy Spirit work. And I would encourage you, if you feel the moments of shame, maybe you want to pick out some verses of identity and begin to write those out. You need to repeat those to yourself. You need to remind the enemy of who you are in Christ, whatever it may be. But pull those verses. Romans chapter 8 is an incredible place to start. It is a beautiful place to start that we can come before the Lord. And so let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that if there's anybody who doesn't know you, God, they would take a moment to stop. And say a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father. I know. That I have. I've been walking in sin. I know that shame has separated me. From you God. And I ask that you would save me. I ask that you would change me. I ask that you would begin to do a healing work. In me. God I pray that whoever prayed that prayer. That you would give them boldness encouraged to maybe fill out that connect card that's in their seat or talk to me or pray with us right after service, God. I pray that you would begin to do a mighty work in us. God, I pray for each and every person in this room, whoever's listening online. God, I pray that if uh, they feel that shame begins to rear its ugly head in our lives, that we remember who we are in Christ. We remember, God, that you have made a way for us to sit at the king's table, not only now, but forever in eternity, God. And you made that way that we bring you our weaknesses. We bring your work and your Your grace covers us, God. Your unmerited favor. God, I pray that we go into a fearful and hurting world. Where the enemy is trying to pack on shame. God, and I pray that you give us courage to let people know there's good news. His name is Jesus. God, I pray that you use us for your glory. I pray that you would just begin to do a healing work and allow us to have the conversations that need to happen, God. We trust you. We give you everything that we have. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.